years of work. Yeah, it, it feels like, you know, something I always try to like live by, which is no wasted motion. You know, mm-hmm. it feels like that, like the constant practice, you know, entity feels like you've systemized it in a way. Go lean it, make it lean. You make it super lean. And and I, that was a part of the regrouping for ETP, was literally, you know, figuring out, similar to like Elon, you know, how he went into Twitter and was like, okay, let me trim a lot of this fat. And now the company is on the trajectory of actually, you know, uh, being in the green because they've been operating in the red, you know, uh, the entire time. Uh, and I think it was losing four million dollars a, a month or something like that. I want to say it was ridiculous. I, I didn't. I kept up kept up on that a little bit, but I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it just it just was crazy. Uh, and but it 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 forces you to better assess your business model. And what what I've realized is that when you sit and take some time to assess your business model, what it what it actually can do in the in the process of trimming fat, you can actually open up new verticals of income. Mm-hmm. And that was something that I didn't realize until I actually had to go through that, you know, through that chamber, I guess you can say. Yeah. And uh, I've always, at this point, I'm trying to keep everything as lean as possible and no waste. And part of the thing, Jonah, Jonah was fucking phenomenal um, coming in. He just started, he he just said, hey, can I come in and steam? Or what do you need help with? Yeah. And then it just became more and more of a thing. Yeah, because I couldn't pay him right away. I just started out going full time. I have a wife and kids, and I I just couldn't afford. I couldn't risk something. I have no idea what the return on is going to be. Mm-hmm. But he's just coming out of the blue and asking me if he can help. Yeah. Um, and then slowly, after like two or three months, right, Jenna, I think it was of just working, yeah. just helping, yeah, doing it, seeing it. I told him I was like, look, if we meet these goals every month. We can talk. Exactly. See if it's like, I need to see if we can consistently hit this stuff. Yep. And then I'll feel more comfortable being like, okay, let's do this. Um, and it's just, I know not everybody's in that position. Like Jonah was in a position where he was able to do that. But people also need to think from a business standpoint where the owner is and what's all going involved, what's all involved with it, where, where's the money tied up. Like obviously cash is an endless, but um, I mean, I always was up from with Jonah and I was like, look, we hit these goals. If it becomes viable, it's viable, and we can talk money. Because I want to pay you. It's just I don't. I don't know at this point. Yeah. Um, and because I, I wanted, I wanted to pay him at that point. It's just, uh, it's a toss up, right? Yeah. I've been doing it a long time, but then making it an actual thing, figuring out how to actually operate it efficiently, mm-hmm. and do that was a learning process on top of having someone else there trying to get involved in the process when I've done it myself for the whole time. Yeah figuring out that work dynamic and um i mean at the end of the day if you want to do something you're gonna just just fucking do it um work ethic wise and no much love to jonah i i don't think enough people um give any give any uh benefit of the doubt or credence to the business owner mm-hmm. um Again, which kind of goes back to the the attack on capitalism and things of nature, which is the hierarchy of it all. They think that the boss is the imposing figure that is just taking advantage of the workers. Like, no, we're we're trying to use our minds to systemize this in the most efficient and sustainable way to be able to actually pay a a service. uh, Yeah, your services. Of course. I mean, like if if you're bringing X amount of if your the store is bringing X amount of dollars a month. Right, but just myself. If I'm going to bring you on and pay you X amount of dollars, 
the return on that better be X amount of dollars. Thank you. Otherwise, what am I doing? I'm just giving you money to help me out, but the return on it's not where it needs to be. Exactly. I could just make more money just paying myself and doing it all myself. And it goes back to productivity. You have mm-hmm. you, you put, the money itself is to pay you for your production. It's not to pay you to just be a part of something and do something. So the moment they are trying to recontextualize themselves or step into a different capacity within, you know, some type of like structure and and it's required of them to like actually yield some results and be Mm -hmm. conductive and you have KPIs against their job description. That's when, you know, uh, there is a level of uh, pushback or there is like uh, that's where the whole. Oh, we the relationship changes from just knowing each other to a business relationship because now you're actually judging their production against what they're being paid. And it's no different in sports. Like I'm a I'm a Cowboys fan. You know, people that know me know know that. And I didn't want that our quarterback to get that money. Why? Because I was able to assess his productivity. Like, you know, is is he a force multiplier? Does he make the guys better? Can he throw guys open? Yes or no, he cannot. So therefore, he needs better talent on the outsides in order for him to be more productive. In order for us to get better production on the outside and better better talent on the outside, as in wide receivers, some people that don't listen, don't watch football, uh, to get better guys on the outside, you need more money to mm-hmm. get the best the best guys because your quarterback isn't multiplying them as they already are. So we have to now find talent that can multiply him. Mm-hmm. They have to get more open because he can't throw the ball into tight windows. He can't throw the receiver open. So therefore, if he should not be paid like a franchise QB making $40 million a year, hitting our salary cap the way that he hits our salary cap, mm-hmm. say they could be say it was $30 million and our running back was making 17 I want to say, something like that. And the, the those numbers were hitting our salary cap in a way where we couldn't get better. Right. We, we couldn't get better talent on the line on the outside, on the defense, so on and so on, right? And so that goes back. That's why I love football because it's about productivity, it's about strategy, it's about chemistry, and it's about getting to the goal, getting to a collective goal. And I feel like it's one of the last sports leagues that actually is predicated on the the, uh, the meritocracy. The, the, the owner has to find the best GM. The GM has to find the best scouting department and the best head coach, officer coordinator, defensive mm-hmm. coordinator, and then those guys are responsible for putting the best talent on the field and the coordinators and the head coach are responsible for making sure that the talent is running the script that was practice and practice. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and do it in the game. Yep. And I feel like it's an industry that has incentivized being the best at your position within the country. Yeah. You know, and so. And I think that's a part of the attack of football as well, because football, it, it, it embodies the American spirit. And there's an attack on the American and 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 the 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 fabric and the social contract, so social contract that we all have amongst each other. There are radicals that wish to attack that for malevolent reasons. And so when I hear you speak about these things, you, you, you embody the ethos of a person that, for one, understands business and what's needed to order the steps of a company for to yield certain types of types of success. And then approach it with an idealistic utopian, you know, vision. You're approaching it from a pragmatic vision or a pragmatic point of view, so that you mm-hmm. can yield the results, so that the company itself is sustainable. Yeah. You know, and so uh, that was uh, obviously one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you. Um, but yeah, I 
I, I get I get where you're coming from, though. I, I understand what you're what you're trying to build. And I think you're doing it in the right way um, by literally looking at the numbers and assessing things. Yeah. I mean, back to the productivity type of thing. I mean, I, like I said, I played soccer for 20 plus years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a D1 All-American, or not D1, sorry, D3 All-American first team my senior year. I mean, I mean them, it's about the fitness. We're going to talk about that too. Yeah, the, fit, the fitness. Every, I mean, everything kind of stems from my athletic background, to be honest, in terms of the work ethic, yep. drive. My dad would ask me every single day if I ran. Yeah. When I was a when a high schooler. Yeah. He's like, did you go out? Did you exercise today? Did you work out? And I was being a lazy fucking being. <laughs> and then, then knowing they go fucking run. We all have those days. <laughs> no, but I mean, it, it, a lot of it came from my dad in terms of the work ethic kind of being a bit overworked days you'd say just hyper compulsive about it yeah but I mean in order for, I, I set a cell for my goal when I first started the store uh, a couple years ago and I was like there's other stores doing this but I want to be the I want to be the top dog I don't really give a shit mm-hmm. I'm just going to do this better I'm going to I'm going to look more I'm going to I'm going to find something I'm going to figure out how to fucking do it yes sir and uh I mean, it, and the results kind of speak for themselves. It just, it, people think it just happens overnight, but it's been eight years working on it. Um, and again, that's the whole reason for the name at the end of the day is that the repetition, the practice, all that stuff. Because at the end of the day, that's all it fucking is. And even when you're at where you're at, you're still trying to figure out something else that you're fucking trying to do. And the practice just continues and it never stops. Yep. It just gets more and more refined and you understand more. Yes. Which, which creates a, a positive feedback loop. You become more efficient at what it is that you do. Mm-hmm. And because you're you're more efficient, you're now spending less time on things that used to be menial and time consuming. They're more efficient, which allows for you to better use your time to go and make uh, strengthen a weaker point of your business mm-hmm. and allows for your, your, your uh, customers to have a better experience, your employees to be able to now use their bandwidth in a way that better refines their skill set. And yeah, everybody's just working more efficiently and everybody's benefiting. Yeah, it's just trying, getting those people that get that. Yeah. And uh, Jonah, I mean, Jonah's the only one that I, I mean, we haven't really tried too many people out, but mm. I mean, Jonah's definitely the one that, and that was just effing random. Yeah. Like completely out of the blue. That never, I would have planned that. That was nothing. Yeah. And I mean. It's divine timing. It's divinity. It, it, it really, it honestly is. He came in a couple of times to try on some stuff um, when I had opened the showroom. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> it's just kind of it's kind of fucking funny to be honest. And it just became a became a thing. And he's officially my first employee on the books. Yeah, which is crazy. Uh, he's a contractor for all of 2022, and then this year he's a W two. Amazing. Which That's is safe. which is crazy. I mean, I never thought I'd have a. Not that I think of John as an employee, really, um, but just finding other people that have that same type of drive where we can just go in on it because at the end of the day we just want to make some cool fun stuff and have a good time doing it and obviously make money at the end of the day that's how you got to do it but as long as you're having a purpose and you're having fun doing it the money will just kind of come the taste the taste is there it's just like how do you implement it in other ways and other products with other brands your stuff like that and you, you know to be honest with you, Zeke, man, I was I was listening to to a podcast. I want to say maybe yesterday or the day before yesterday, and it was someone just speaking about our society doesn't allow for individuals to 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 stumble upon opportunities like this because 
they they aren't devoted um they aren't devoted to the the process they aren't devoted to you know the constant practice it's it it only is a means to an end you know i've, I've told um i tell people all this i tell my immediately fa- immediate family this all the time i'm like i like five percent of my job like a lot i love five percent of my job mm-hmm. the other 95 percent is just all the other shit you know what i mean mm-hmm. like i don't know how to explain it <laughs> like that five percent is the game you play the other 95 percent all the training going going to the trainer after after a, a session on the field from practice getting the treatment doing doing any rehab you have to do that's all the 95 percent yeah five percent is playing games winning the games winning the championships all that other stuff is just yeah. everything else that leads up to it that's all that's how i think of it because the best part is finding those cool clothes and then trying to market those interesting clothes at the end of the day. And that's the fun part. You know, people think uh, LeBron's longevity and his success is haphazard. They think it's arbitrary. They think it's uh, uh, luck. Uh, it's definitely a part of God's gift for sure. But LeBron, like Zion, has enough natural God-given ability to just ride it out on that alone. He couldn't mm-hmm. done that. His first game, I forgot how many points he scored and how many assists and blocks and rebounds he had, but it was something that was like, oh, this this kid is for real. He's fresh out of high school. I saw him in high school. Oh, you did, actually? Yeah, in Ohio. I was at a Ohio State Stadium for, I think, the state championship. Oh. My family that was up in uh, Marion, Ohio, which is an hour north of Columbus, and uh, my uncle got tickets to that game what, what was that experience like it's crazy we were up in the we actually got box seats or something for that high school <laughs> my my uncle knows some people in the area just but um yeah it was me my uh my dad my uncle and uh, my cousin and yeah i remember i remember that um the slam issue that came out with him and sebastian telfar was it telfar or yeah telfair yeah it's t- telfair telfair yeah yeah <laughs> long time i, just, I still bl- very vividly remember that cover for whatever the fucking reason was. Probably because I was playing. It was iconic, and I was also playing basketball. I was in that. I was I think I was in grade school still or whatever. And yeah, um, I was playing basketball at the time, so it was like still part of what I was doing. Yeah, I, so- I ended up getting away from basketball and focusing on soccer. But yeah, anyway, that was a period of time, man. That was that was a real period of time. I uh, we were just talking about it in the group chat that I have. He was like that next one that was going to have that swag that a New York guard has. He already had the the family, mm-hmm. you know, uh, stamp of approval and that cachet and Jay-Z showing up. And then he had to cover with LeBron James slam. And I remember it, too. And um, and, you know, I think that's that's actually a great example of like LeBron's approach that 95 percent you're talking about. His approach is so diligent and so strenuous and thorough. There is again, it's not it's not by happenstance that he's been able to be in a league for 20 plus years. Yes, his award that he, that he won most recently, the uh, the all-time mm-hmm. sport leader. Yes, that's a longevity award, but the longevity within itself is an award. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, there's stories, uh, you know, where you know they say LeBron will get up while being at, t- at a dinner table and stretch, you know, to keep himself loose and limber, right? You know, like he's we've all seen him pop up after a rolled ankle tie, shoe tight, and he's back on the court. You know, it's only until recently where he's having more serious injuries where he has to be set out. But, you know, him, he's spending, you know, millions of dollars on his body every year. Russell Wilson is another one that's known to spend a lot of money on his body. And so, you know, that that 
constant practice of preparing for the game of life, you know, for most people, but for those guys, the, the professional game of basketball, mm -hmm. um, the game of life needs to have preparation as well. And I think that that is a part of, you know, the, the, the constant practice or what have you, um, of, you know, what it is that I do on a daily basis or on a weekly basis and how that bleeds into what I do professionally. And it seems like the same for you. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I, and I don't think it's by accident that you have a, a strong sports background that I never knew, actually. I didn't know you had a sports background like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 it, 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 I think everything that I do is really stems from that. I mean, I still work out now. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't run nearly as much anymore cause my knee's kind of shot mm -hmm. and I don't want to fuck it up more. But sure. in terms of lifting, I do that five, six times a week. Nothing crazy. Are you, okay. are you aware of the knees over toes guy? No, you definitely got to look into them, especially if your knees are giving you issues right now, because what, you know, this is, and this is me, you know, giving a layman's, yeah. uh, 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 recap of what he talks about, but essentially it's the muscles around the knee and the joints that get weaker over time. Yep. And so what he does is he's created a system that allows for him to be able to systemize strengthening the, the ligaments and the tendons mm -hmm. and stuff around the knee yeah. and the joints as a whole. And what he does is a f a fundamentally is have people work out backwards. When I say backwards, meaning like the sled that people walk with or push, mm -hmm. he would rather have them pull it. Instead of running on the treadmill, he will rather have you walk down it backwards on the incline to create that level of tension around the knee to strengthen the quads. And yeah, it's, it's, it's this area. It's that area there. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, he's he has countless stories. Uh, and, you know, for everybody that's listening, knees over toes guy. Um, all one word, obviously. Uh, but on Instagram, he has a lot of videos um, of just strength, strength training. And a lot of the issue, I think, comes from um, obviously playing soccer. But I also, uh, when I played, I am very much on my toes more so than other people. Just kind of, I don't know if it's because I'm tall or just developed a bad habit. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of factors into the level of stress that it's mainly on my right knee but my left one's fine um but yeah it it, it just kind of it came down to just not at this point in my life where i am the added benefit of doing cardio honestly isn't much isn't really there yeah i can get a good cardio workout just by doing more of a hit lift mm -hmm. um doing that within 30 30 minutes and just going from one set to the next and then just keep doing it for 30 minutes. Yeah. And by the end of it, I'm pretty gassed anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, I do still play, I, I, I dribble and kick the ball around on the field. Um, which for those that don't know that can actually be quite a workout if you don't do it that often, especially if you don't run, there's being running fit and there's being, uh, in soccer or, uh, basketball level fit. It's Very completely true. different. So true. Yeah. Um, so you could run for, you could run the whole fucking summer and then you show up and you try to play, you'll be fucking gassed in five minutes. Yep. You could play all summer, not run, and you'll last a whole hell of a lot longer. Your two mile may, may not be that good, but you can still last a long time in a game. Where this level is, is there. Yeah, because it's, it's so much of a hit sport where it's up and down, stop, go, stop, go, recovery type of mentality. Yeah. Um, And which I think is just kind of funny because people don't, Unless you play the sport, you wouldn't never really think you do this. Like, oh, I could just run over and over again, get really good shape, and then you try to play, and you just fucked. Yeah, no, it's, it's <laughs> not the case at all. Um, I'm I'm a big like you know uh, equinox guy, so like I do the, the cardio and the basketball, mm -hmm. and I can I can you know uh, I can 
second that that is not the same thing because I, I I kick off my workouts with a with like a 30 to 45 minute run and then we get the blood flowing um and then I go down and do strength training um because primarily for me is about losing mass essentially um and uh and then you know making sure that once the mass is gone that there is some level of like definition with mm-hmm. a, a, a suitable muscle skeletal system yeah uh, but that's what my trainer told me told me he was like you know we'll get to the the vanity because he knew that wasn't what I was about. You know, I, I was dealing with health issues and things of that nature. And so it was a matter of getting the mass down and then also strengthening the cardio, the, uh, my, my, um, my respiratory system mm-hmm. and then making sure that my muscle skeletal system had what it needed for the long haul. He was like, I sure. just want to make sure that as you get older, you don't have any issues because the first thing that typically goes with people is like, they, they crack their hip and things of that nature because they don't have a strong muscle skeletal system and they, they never invested in strength training strength training thinking that you know yeah well that's it that's all for vanity only yeah i mean that's why i work out five if i can five to six times a week uh, just mainly for ma- maintenance yeah just for maintenance it's like doing, it's, it's like going to get your fucking maintenance on your car it's like <laughs> constantly getting the checkup over and over again just making sure it's going i mean my father-in-law is 60 i don't fucking know 60 three mm-hmm. peter don't kill me if i get tested. <laughs> um that man works out every fucking day yeah 63 yes what he was keeping up with us me and me and my brother-in-law in the three and a half in a three mile run keeping up up with us fine this was when i was playing st- like we were still either playing or like right out actually it was right after college so i was still very good shape um but like he can just run with us fine do, do you feel like you, uh you've benefited because you know i've uh and that's why I asked this question. I was I was looking at well, actually, I came home one day from the gym, and I I can't quite uh, articulate it, but I felt like this, you know, this like high essentially. Like I felt like oh yeah, reflect around this high yeah, or I felt whatever. We're out high awake. You know, you mm-hmm. you you come across that. It's an addiction. Yeah, it is. You chase that after a while. It's like you chase it, and it's like my my wife and I do it too. Yeah. Like you, uh, we get antsy if we haven't worked out. Thank you. That's yeah, exactly. You almost feel like your body is starting to get rigid, and you need to loosen it up. And this, in I just like to say, I start. I feel fat. I need to go do something. I need to like, I don't know, just like get out of the whatever we're doing and yeah. move and move. You deplete those glycogen stores. Yeah. So so you can get. You don't feel all flabby. <laughs> Get a fresh pumping, boys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. Um, I uh, I ended up doing some research on it, and it, and the article was like, scientifically, your body actually simulates the same, uh, I guess, bio. It's like the same bio mechanisms that happen when somebody smokes weed. Essentially, oh, really? you get that same like endorphin or dopamine reaction or reward. Um, and you know, it obviously puts your body back into the circadian rhythm, rise with the sun, set with the sun, um, like that whole feeling. And once I, once I got, ex- you know, get, got exposed to that, it, I began to chase that and, you know, obviously it had a bunch of benefits, but I feel like I'm mentally sharper. I feel like I have a better, like almost, I feel fresh. I feel fresh after I work out. Yeah. Yeah. Or refreshed, whatever you want to say. It's a good stress reliever. I highly recommend anybody to start working out or just go run, just go do something outside, just relieve the stress. Um, there's nothing better. And it just build it builds that character. It builds the it builds the repetition. The more you the more frequently you do it, you'll just continue to do it and then you'll want to continually do it. Exactly. Exactly. It, oh 
partly because you don't want to lose the progress that you made. Oh, yeah. It's very hard and difficult. Maybe that first two or three days getting back into the gym after maybe a two week layoff, which mm-hmm. is typically like holiday break. You probably mm-hmm. eating some bullshit, you know, and so you feel it when you get back on your treadmill and it's like, I don't want to feel this bad again. Yeah. The worst is uh, when you get sick and you're trying after you're oh, yeah. over your sickness and you're getting back. Like my wife and I got a bad stomach bug in February. As I had weekday too. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was called a neurovirus. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause we were like, how do we get sick? And we don't ever get sick. And you same. Yeah. But that, that, that shit fucked us up. I was not in bed the whole day. I was not in bed the whole day. I couldn't move. Crazy. It was weird. But after that, like it, it, the symptoms lingered for a while too. Um, the, the symptoms linger, linger for a while. And I was trying to, it took me a while to get back into the gym. And once I did, it's like, you start back at kind of at zero again. Like I can feel when I do my pull-ups, I'm like, I'm feeling weak after a couple, whereas like if I'm in a routine of doing it for like three weeks straight, yeah, I get on that pole bar and just fucking pump them out. Um, and it's just kind of funny how that does it. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Um, you know, to be honest with you, I think, you know, a lot of this also is like neuroplasticity, like just the, the fact that your brain has a better ability to build new neurons and learn new things. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that is the biggest benefit that I've, I feel like I've gained from being physically active, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, coupled with, you know, I'm a big supplement guy. Like, you know, I do lion's mane, um, mushrooms from host defense. Um, okay. That literally saved when, and I'm not even being like, you know, uh, hyperbolic when I say this or being overzealous at all. But Paul Stamets' uh, host defense brand literally saved my family's life. And it started with me um, because I ended up using it once I was on my health journey to get back. You know, fast mm-hmm. forward, COVID comes around. Thankfully, early in the year, my mother actually took my advice and was like, hey, mom, you need to make sure that you're on a Garricon, breathe mushroom and lion's mane. Those are the three I take every day. You know, not, not even factoring in the vitamin C with bioflavonoids. Mm-hmm. So it makes it more bioavailable. It's basically simulating eating an orange or greens, yeah. you know, whatever. And so uh, and in vitamin D and magnesium, I'm like, you take these three supplements here and you won't have any issues. I mean, my grandmother, uh, 60 plus kicked it grandfather kicked it her, that whole household my mother's household everybody kicked it except for her her uh her her now late husband um and i think that's more of like um you know sometimes like you know men we're very like i don't want to go to the doctor i don't want to take any supplements and all this shit like it's like this very like rigid thinking right and mm-hmm. and the lack of you know uh being receptive to things can actually be to your detriment. And and I feel like I had a, my own case study within my own family, two households, where everybody was on from pro- probiotics, coupled with all the things I just mentioned before, you know, uh, and everybody kicked it. And my little sister, because she's younger than everybody, she didn't even get it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, you know, that's it. It's, it's crazy. It's like, they are da- my, my daughter's never got it. So, yeah. So my wife and I both did, but. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I just think that it needs to be a level of emphasis on, you know, making a concerted effort to, to do somewhat of a positive thing for your body on a somewhat consistent basis. You need to be taking care of yourself at the end of the day. You can't just be, I mean, there are plenty of people that do it. I'm not trying to shame anybody or anything, but um, especially if you don't come from that type of background, though, I can understand how it can be hard to get into that rhythm and routine of taking care, working out, taking care of yourself. Like, it's not easy. That's a, that's the fucking point of it. You're, the reward is how you feel, how you look. The easy way out is just not giving a fuck. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, it's the same thing with work. That's, everything's related to each other, and it just depends on how you're viewing it all. Yeah. If you just want to be lazy about everything, then you're going to seek out the easiest thing. And sure, I mean, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm I'm lazy as fuck sometimes too. Everybody is. We're all fallible. Yeah. Yeah. We all have our flaws. I'm not. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm just saying that. Um. Taking accountability, trying to trying to do it better yourself. Um which will then better the others around you, like we were talking about before, is a huge, huge component of it. Yeah. I'm John, John and I were joking around how, like, when we, when, we re, when we really hit it big, we'll just have a gym in the office. Yeah. And we'll go, go to, back to work. No, man. It's, it, and you know what? It's, it's a dojo. It's literally a dojo. You know? And I feel like you, like, I, I wish Brian was here right now. Um, Him and I, we're actually having conversations right, right now about him being a co-host. Like, because mm-hmm. we have these conversations all the time. Yeah. And, you know, uh, not to have like a hard segue, but he asked me a question. And I don't know if it's necessarily hard actually, because we're still, we're talking about business and, and things of that nature. But he asked me this question, like I've never been asked it before. He and he posed it like somebody would ask, "What's your favorite team?" He said, "Who's your favorite CEO?" And I was like, "Wow!" Like no one thinks about it no. in context. Like who's your favorite CEO? Because but he's such a, a a business savvy guy, runs a business with his wife and things of that nature. And it was like we had these conversations all the time, but we, he never posed that question to me before. And I was like, you know, uh, say Elon, Elon actually. And, and I had to think about it, but I've, I've had, I've substantiated why before, but not to a question posed like that. And, um, and I would say the reason why is because he's the first example. And I've seen someone weaponize money in a way where he can push it back against to tyrannical behavior within the society. I've watched somebody be literally the closest, you know, uh, uh, parallel to Iron Man, essentially. The fact that he can literally make a decision to move Starlink satellites over Ukraine to be able to help them better communicate, even though they still gave him his ass to gave him uh, their ass to kiss and the U.S. government all to come back around and say, hey, can we use your satellites again to fight this this mm-hmm. boxy war that we should like that you all probably shouldn't even be involved in? He was like, no, like you guys are like literally assholes. And like, why would I do that? And then you're also a part of the same crew that's like door to door with these Twitter files and like, you know, weaponizing government. Um, Mussolini had a quote that said he defined uh, 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 fascism as the merging of corporate and state. Mm -hmm. That's how he defined it. And that's essentially what Elon is fighting against. And so then he has to be my favorite CEO right now because I only see him what the person would fuck you money saying fuck you you know and like like i guess maybe rogan maybe a, a close you know you, you know yeah. second to that but no one's really creating a counterculture like there is i don't remember the last time that we've had a true counterculture everything that is quote unquote counterculture has been corporatized if big pharma and big corporation is on the side of your argument you're not the counterculture if your movement is funded by Bank of America and so on and so on, you are not the counterculture. I forget what I was listening to the other day, but it was, uh, maybe it was Rogan. Yeah, it was Rogan. He was talking to uh, Michael Malice. They were talking about how, yeah, it was pretty funny, fucking stupid conversation. They talked, they talked about a fucking grizzly bear in Alaska that broke into somebody's house and the guy had a, a Colt 45, shot him a couple of times. The bear's just chilling in the living room and then the neighbor comes over and shoots him with a, 12 gauge slug in the head. Yeah. 
with a giant ass fucking what they described it as like a 10 foot grizzly couldn't that was in somebody's house in alaska <laughs> it was a pretty wild thing it's on the news i'm sure you could look it up but wow um they were just talking about how from a political standpoint sides the stances from parties have basically flip-flopped in the last like 20 years indeed they have. it's just like so it's just so funny to weird to think about at the same time like before in the early 2000s you'd be saying the exact same thing uh the republicans are saying right now and then vice versa mm-hmm. and it's just none of it makes any sense yeah. i just feel like it's all just a bunch of there's a it's all just a bunch of show and you have no idea what the fuck's going on it is a there's there's no political solutions for cultural deficiencies, and I and that's why. So this isn't on, uh, uh, and and me advocating for the right in, in the conservative party over the left and the progressives. It's just a matter of pointing out the reality of it all that it's all very nonsensical, and um, and to your point, it is a show. Uh, it, it and it reminds me of uh of one Plato's quote where he said the city is what it is because the citizens are what they are. Mm-hmm. And then also Plato's uh, allegory of the cave, like where, you know, you have the performative showmen mm-hmm. and you have the prisoners looking at the showmen playing in front of the fire on the wall. And then the prisoners are looking on the wall thinking that's reality. When it's really not reality, those are performative showmen playing in front of a fire that's projecting onto the cave wall that it's bigger than what it is. And that it's a, it's always look at this while I do this. Exactly. Let me look at this hand while I do this with my other hand. You exactly. can't see the other hand, what I'm doing with it. Yeah. Just pay attention to this. Yeah. And yeah, I, and I, I hate it all. I hate it all, honestly. Yeah. I, Cause I feel like, and I tried to use the word hate. I, actually, I'm like, I don't, I just, this is not the words I want to put out there, mm-hmm. but I really dislike, um, you know, what's happening because I feel like there is no longer a thing that unifies us. And that's a part of the reason why I wanted to do this podcast for Wittity of Thought. And I specifically said the left and the right hemispheres of the brain, because the left side is about, you know, uh, uh, creativity and and, mm-hmm. and see the diversity in it all and, and trying to bring uh, light to things that may be disenfranchised or underrepresented, uh, underrepresented and things of that nature. And then the right is more of like operational, logistical, and analytical, and strategic, and things of that nature. And you yep. need both. You do a hundred percent for any for any for any business, any anything to operationally work well. You need both sides of it. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious to know your thoughts about the Pharrell and LVMH situation. Like, what are your thoughts around that? What what are the ramifications uh, of this of this new partnership between them two hot, hot take hot take hot take brian had a really good take on this by the way i wish i we will get together but he had a really yeah. good take i'm curious to know yours uh well i, I kind of i'm i'm very on the pulse i watch a lot of youtube content so i have there's bits of information that kind of get sprinkled in from mm-hmm. specific people that i i watch um i th- i think it's a i mean it makes sense why they would do that mm-hmm. to me whether I agree with it or not, I just feel like it's kind of where the space is going, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, right, he's a he's an iconic tastemaker. 20 years plus of being a tastemaker, which is hard as hell to stand that test of time and continue to do it mm-hmm. over and over and over again. And to be authentic with yourself, which I feel like at least he comes off that way. I don't really pay attention too much to, to Pharrell, so I, I can't really speak too much, but that's my hot take impression of him. Um, 
in terms of LV and him together, I mean, you can see how he can pull certain people into the space and maybe make it work mm-hmm. well. Somewhat similar to like how Virgil operated, but maybe a little bit different. Yes. I think you can kind of carry that similar ethos, but in a slightly different way. But that the 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 customer that LV has gotten over the last couple of years since uh, when, El- when uh, Virgil was in there, I think obviously translates probably pretty well to stuff Pharrell would probably be doing. Um, is it the right thing for fashion? I, I don't know. It's very interesting to see, right? You have a, a mixed bag of celebrity-esque creative directors mixed with traditional um, creative directors or designers, I guess you could say. And the houses are going in different directions, right? You have, I guess you could say, I think Daniel Lee's more of a traditional uh, uh, creative director from that standpoint. I think he went to CSM or something like that. Um, and he's at Burberry now and he's going to be doing his thing. So that I feel like it's just a completely different business model. Like if you compare a Burberry business model that they'll probably be doing, it'll be more similar to the Bottega Veneta and what he did at Daniel Lee, obviously with the Burberry twist on it. Um, but then LV's in this like other space where I feel like there's the opportunities for collaborations, even though I dislike that word a lot. There's just a lot of different things or connections where he can pull from different people, get them involved to do different interesting things. Which I don't have a problem with. I'm not saying I like it in a negative sense. I'm just saying that's maybe where I see it going in that in that sphere. I mean, what are your thoughts on it at all? Uh, when I saw it, when I when I heard it, I uh, I understood. Yeah. It as a businessman, I get I get it right. Yes. You know, it's a matter of selling expensive sublimation printed shirts that might have a Louis LV monogram all over it in some way, shape, form, or fashion, right? And then uh, selling leather and rubber sneakers, yeah. right? And so that's that's the business model. And that's something I'll actually learn when I was at Sotokayo to bring this conversation back to to, to mm-hmm. my days there. And and Alan Gaynor, who I want to make sure I like, get just like, he's like a fashion encyclopedia. I mean, people will walk into the store. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's with J.W. Anderson, by the way, right now, like in Japan. He's like, he's like, took him in and like wrote him part of the team but he was such a fashion encyclopedia and he used to speak about things in such a way that had a almost as if he was an editor at a magazine and um and I always loved people who intensely loved what they did for a living because it was infectious you know you see somebody really devote themselves to their craft you can make a documentary about that like that's that's compelling you know uh, uh that's a compelling story right and he was that individual. Something he said when I was in the store, he was breaking down to me because at the time, I think by that point, I was already promoted to be seeing sales. I don't know if I was, I don't know if I was running the men's department yet, mm-hmm. but I was promoted to seeing sales, meaning I was making commissions on the things that was being sold on the men's floor and sometimes other floors if I had a female client. But he said, uh, he said, him and Wolfie actually was like, this is your ball bond, biker jean, G-bone sheen, Rottweiler era. Made it that like when we had Vetmon and stuff like that, it was going to sell regardless if the person walked in and was window shopping or not. If they didn't buy it, some other person was calling, emailing a request from Seattle store or something, right? And only mm-hmm. putting this up because that was around a time where fashion was changing. 
in 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 a more pronounced way. Not that that was the that was the biggest nexus point, but it was a very pronounced yeah. change in what was deemed luxury, right? And Alan said he felt he was saying this to me. He's like I, he felt that what happened at Barney's when he was there, they were undermining their own business. He said he felt like. They prioritized sneakers. I think this is my this might have been the Raph Oswego era. Yeah. He was like they prioritized sneakers and the stuff I just mentioned, she born, she bomb on, and you know all yeah. those things at NH, like you know the double zip hoodie at that time and stuff, opposed to their leather goods and hard bottom and that up this Upper East Side, you know, uptown clientele. They didn't service that anymore. They were servicing the the downtown dollar because it was quicker it was quicker and it was easier to sell to a guy that seen uh yeah. that seen something uh xyz person where yeah xyz person where it on social media and it was able to just you know sell yep. and so that made the 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 retailers that made the retailers jobs easier it made the sales associates jobs easier there you go and, think and so uh i look at this as it's a win in the short term, but I'm not necessarily sure what this signals in terms of the longevity of the business. Mm. So that's that's like my that's my answer to to that. Um, I'm happy that Pharrell got the look. Um, as, as as far as a successor to Virgil, I think it makes sense if you want to keep that same customer in the in, in tap that vein, but in a slightly different perspective. Um, I think that it'll, he will have a better uh, connectivity with the Asian market probably better than Virgie even had, mm-hmm. you know, simply because of the the affinity that he has for the culture they've had for him over the yeah. last 20 hour plus years. With mm-hmm. the, and that was something that Brian kind of brought to my attention. I want to make sure I give credit to him uh, mm-hmm. and, and him make pointing it out to me. He was like, you know, he said, think about the first image that he posted when the announcement happened. He was like, it was him and Nigo. He was like, Nigo was over at Kenzo, which is, you know, a part of the same family. And he was like, yeah, he's just going to tap Nego and they want to just like tap into the Asian market. He's like, I'm Asian. He's like, I know how we consume and how we look at both of those guys. And, and he was like, it makes total sense, you know? And he was like, this is a, this is a full on war between LVMH and carrying group as yeah. well. That's what a lot of people have been saying on, uh, YouTube. yeah, not mainly the Asian market, but obviously it's the carrying LVMH group. Yeah. Uh, duking it out, which, I mean, it said, I mean, it, kind of going back that that's the whole issue I have with a lot of this stuff now is it just seems like it's a bunch of shit and I'm just tired of it mm-hmm. I was really tired of the shit product being made there's nothing interesting we went into Dover Street there was one Rick piece that was insane Abs- Rick does kills it I mean there's nothing bad to say about Rick I don't think you can um, but then when you're looking at some of the other stuff like it's interesting but then from a guy's standpoint it's like what the fuck is there, honestly, to wear? Yeah, it's like you either want to be like a fashion victim, a caricature of what you see on rappers. I just want to fucking blend in. Yeah, you know, yeah, it is. It, that is exactly what people want to do. They want to blend it by by looking different. You know, it's you know, what's so crazy. Let's talk about it, actually. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we already established I was at Totokayo right in the men's department. We couldn't even, we couldn't even sell Marnie to we were we were double exposing Marnie. Marnie mohair sweaters, the yeah. gray, yellow, the blue and the the uh, the ox blood burgundy ones. Yeah. Like I remember those pieces. I was when I first left Totokayo, I had a few Marnie pieces. I have the uh the two tone blue 
pinstripe trousers that came with the matching uh, jacket uh, and the shorts as well from their, their collection. They had the, it was like the uh, B- uh, Baja short or something like that. It had the, like the, uh, oh, yeah. The red and white fabric that was hanging out underneath the uh-huh. short. Like it was like so many ill pieces during that period of time that people just weren't even attracted to because they didn't have the the rapper candy. Yeah, because I remember like I was the same time frame. I was like interested in Marnie. Yeah. I think I bought it in like 2016 or something. That was the year, exactly. And I was like, this is pretty cool stuff. I mean, obviously a very high price point, quality yeah, fabric. Very true. It's a cool, it's an interesting brand, obviously, but. Yeah, it's the cachet aspect of it where it doesn't really get its notoriety or its dues until XYZ person wears it and then everybody's like, oh, fuck, we should be wearing this. I feel so and so wore it. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. No, I just felt like it was a happy medium. I felt like it was the perfect brand for someone like me because it was the happy medium between like the fun elements of cone, mm-hmm. but then also the the chicness of like a Prada. Yeah, that's a good way to explain. Like that's, I was like, why, I, in my mind, like why isn't this more popular? But then, you know, few years later you have Vert and you know other other people just speaking about the brand and now it's a thing that you, yeah. people flex and speak about as if it's like Dior or something right uh, yeah. uh, but uh, but I don't know what that means I don't know what that means for everything like what does that mean for everything because now you're taking the substance out of the thing in terms of the consumer I don't care who raps about it but the consumer they're only reacting to it because a rapper says something about it. And what does that do? That signals to the brand to say, okay, we need to tap this vein, which is the same thing that Barney's was doing. And we're talking about, and we look at the end goal of Barney's, the end goal is out of business. And so when you look, when you think about that, it kind of reminds me of what I, what I'm looking at right now. It's a, it's a, it's globalization permeating with the ugly side of globalization permeating all through uh, society. Well, coming up to that would be like Rick Owens dunks. Yeah, do you, like, what, why hasn't that happened to Rick though? Because because Rick knows how to design for a customer. Yes, the aesthetic is pure. Yes, it's pure. It's really here. But you can but you can grab the low hanging fruit, or the rapper can grab the low hanging fruit, right? And it doesn't dilute. Rick at all. Dark Shadow, all those things work them up. Yeah. yeah, but it's really the the Geo Vasquez and the 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 um the Ramones and stuff that are obviously get get thrown around a lot, but even though it's a meme, every rapper wears them. Mm-hmm. Everybody regards Rick. It didn't dilute his brand at all. It just boosted it, if anything. So th- this is me just this is me thinking on the spot. Because mm-hmm. I'm thinking because when you say that, you have to talk about the business model. His company is vertically integrated. They mill and manufacture and source all of their things, you know, and, and sell directly too. I didn't know they had it fully vertically integrated. Yeah, like if you look at the tags and stuff, it's like Rick Owens, like things like LTD, like limited, whatever, mm-hmm. or something like that. That's the goal, man. That's vertically integrated. That's the vertically integrated. And it's, we're talking about what comes to practice where you like you understand your customer. You can play the niche in runway piece game and have a, 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 a muse or things of that nature. It really drive home the brand aesthetic and the brand story while having the Air Force One or the Air Monarch be the driving force of the brand in terms of liquidity and cash flow. Yeah. You, can, you can build on top of that with the brand story, but that's again, as Nike, again, vertically integrated, yeah. which allows for what? It allows for the brand to be able to have 
Uh, it's the cone. It's the cone model. It's the cone model. It's the cone model. It's the cone model as well. Yeah, that's the goal. You you have to have the resources and the liquidity to tell the story. A lot of brands don't do that though. A lot of brands just chase the dollar and continue to top the vein without telling the brand story because the the money is coming in so quick. Whereas like, well, why do more if we've already churned out X amount of dollars? Doing doing X amount of dollars is just fucking boring. It's like it's too it's long. It's too easy. Like like just make this is something I also want to make sure that I emphasize just making money is boring as fuck. Mm-hmm. Like people think you're crazy for saying that. But yeah, I can because, because a lot of people in the moment it's fleeting too. It's fleeting and they value money. Money is a fiscal tool to build the person, place, an idea or a thing. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. It's, money is a literal fiscal tool to do those things and obviously make more up, make more money for you. Right. Have babies. Like that's what the money's meant to do to make have babies and do those things. We don't have a value system that values the meritocracy of ideas. You gotta learn how to lose. You gotta learn how to take a loss. You have to. Yeah. And even I mean, I was never part of a, a winning team um and and soccer. Right. I just valued more playing and learning and kind of growing my skill mm-hmm. rather than I mean, yes, winning is very is important, right? need to be competitive. I don't think I really gained my competitive edge until I got into college, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I forget where I was going with this. Um, well, I lost my train of thought. That's all good. Well, 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 how we got on this, because this is, this is what fluidity of thought is. This is a matter of just literally having a fluid thought and it goes where it goes. But we'll, how we got on the top of this, just got on this topic was talking about just the state of things and fashion and, and Rick Owens' business model. Oh, right. And and, I, and I spoke about, you know, them, you know, being the top or the big, biggest person. Yeah. Um, I mean, for, from a constant practice standpoint, too, I mean, if we do that, we try to do that with our product offering as well, um, where you have more kind of like lower hanging fruit, which you could say are like teas or whatever. Uh, we don't buy too much of that. But then you have this price range, right, of products, um, and that's how you kind of can satisfy a lot of people's needs, right? You have people that will spend the more money on the more expensive stuff. You have people spending on the low money stuff. And at the end of the day, you're kind of buying items based on all of those factors too. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's how you can do some of the more creative things is by having some of the quicker return, quicker cl- cash flow, liquidity type of stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, from a business standpoint, being fully vo- fully vertically integrated is ideally where to, where to get at. And I mean... That's honestly a goal I have mm-hmm. at some point. I think that's like forty five man, forty five year old man shit. <laughs> honestly, though, like I'm, I'm being realistic about it. That, that takes time. Yeah, to 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 be fully vertically integrated and do all that stuff. But uh, we'll get there eventually. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you'll get there simply because you have uh, the proper system in place. I don't think that anything is. I mean, I think it's always an element of luck, and you know, and but. Luck is I always tell people like I could have been unprepared and not have the level of experience that I had when I ran into the people from Nike and they wouldn't have taken me on. So I would have been unlucky in that situation opposed to being lucky because I had all of those years right in terms of freelancing and having certain relationships and having a level of understanding of where uh, 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 the Nike product and fashion sits. So I guess I'll give a little bit of context to that because we're talking about fashion and business models and things of that nature. I'll give a bit of context to to because I don't think I've ever spoken about this um, publicly, but Nike was losing a lot of market share to Adidas 
like they had Ralph Simmons, Rick Owens, Aesop Rocky was was stamping it, Jeremy Scott, Pharrell with the Stan Smith deal and all the stuff like that. Like it was a lot happening with Adidas. They just don't have the ability to storytell and they don't have a strong enough product to be able to compete in the way that they need to compete in order to dethrone in the American market, at least uh, Nike. Yeah. And so uh, me coming out of Totokayo was the, I was the perfect individual to be able to usher them into the future, essentially, because on one end of it, they were seating wrong. Um, I came in and I was, and I uh, literally owned the seating list. Like the, the document itself was created by me and, and, uh, and my boss, Paul gave me that mm-hmm. responsibility to like figure out who needs to get the product and why. Yeah. Um, and, uh, once I've been, once I showed him who out, who was getting what, and he speak, he saw it, he was like, okay, cool. You know, after that, it was a go. Nike needed to understand how their products sat in the fashion sp- sphere. Like they didn't understand it really. And so when they came and grabbed me, it was a matter of like, okay, well, how does the acronym Air Force One in a comb trouser and a Kiko Stussy hoodie make sense? Right. But and who is that guy or that woman in New York City, you know, that can drive home that brand, that brand story. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about their business model and I think about a Rick Owens' business model, I don't see that much of a difference. And, you know, it was also rumors that he was actually supposed to come over to Nike and he, even before the Adidas thing. And then he had to go to Adidas. And then even after the Adidas deal was over, he was supposed to come to Nike and Who? Be, uh, Rick Owens. Oh, I met. Yeah, yeah. It was supposed to be that they knew they had to like figure out a way to authentically ingratiate themselves in that world so they can understand that and also drive home the brand story while that's not really the the thing that's keeping the business afloat. Mm-hmm. All great businesses, and this, to circle back to you, you have a system in place where you now understand your business in a fundamental way from the ground up. You can better assess what the, what the liquidity needs to be put in order to yield the results you need to yield. And so I feel like if you, you know, you've already understood, understood your customer or you understand your customer, um, you know, I don't think it's that hard to translate the insights, the silhouettes, the fabrication, you know, all of those things there into a private label or what, you know, theoretically in the future, if you have more, um, you know, you can translate that into that and then grow that side of the business because that's what Todakayo was doing before, you know, things went awry. Um, but it was literally taking uh, Issei full length coats and comb this and Yoji that and, you know, creating the total kind of private label for the men and the women. And so I know that the business has the bit that business model works in terms of generating the money, but not necessarily buying more product because you see that the product is selling. What if that's working? Don't you know if it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah. And then take the liquidity and then they'll just keep telling the brand story, drive home the brand story. And yeah. I think what a lot of brands don't understand is driving home the brand story doesn't necessarily mean throw a big logo or front of a t-shirt. It means that if you do appropriate projects, thank you. If you are a brand like Cole, like LV, whatever you like, Mark Jacobs, like Steven Sprouse, he went atop Steven Sprouse. And now that gives the brand a level of edge and cachet and a space that might've felt alienated to that crowd. Right. It opens that whole world up. And trust me, there's a dollar there that can't afford a constant, constant practice you know, uh, uh, archival piece. Mm-hmm. There's a dollar there, but if the brands don't invest the liquidity into driving home the brand story in a in a non superficial way, then well, I think that's what we've kind of la- we've been kind of lacking is from a, a logo branding standpoint. Mm-hmm. I think we have brand like the brand identity is pretty 
solid. It's really the kind of having a little bit more of a a color, uh, some kind of signifiers that you can kind of just not, I'm not saying plaster it on there, but just like tastefully, subtly put it in there like some of the comb uh, work magazines would have where they they just kind of take random images and they would subtly place it in there and it just feels like a comb thing. You know what I mean? It's like a completely random, obscure image and then you just kind of slap the comb branding on it in a very subtle way, but it doesn't... It's not like... I don't think it was an image they actually made. It's just like recontextualizing it in a comb way, thinking of it in a comb way with comb branding on it with comb products in the comb magazine. It makes you think of the image in a different way. Yeah. Um, and so like, how do you kind of create content imagery like that and then apply a little subtle branding to it so that basically you have this whole constant practice feeling to the shoot to the imagery and you have a little bit of branding in there and the branding subtle nobody thinks about it it's just kind of there but it the image itself feels very constant practice i think the main thing is focusing on the the con the context of the imagery yes um will translate the best and that's what we're going to try to do with some of these little projects uh coming up where we're gonna have a lot of fun with it and i'll, I'll tell you a little bit afterwards is between you and i but um yeah, yeah. Art- articulating a through line for the brand and mm-hmm. articulating that through line i think that's really important that's uh that's essentially what i've been trying to do is just articulate a through line between you know social economics what's happening you know culturally um and how that impacts or how you can have an impact on uh the discussion yeah and you know just yeah i, I get it. I, and one of the things john and i kind of struggle with is and i think companies also struggle with with us specifically is they don't know how to interpret us they don't know how to approach us yes companies come for references but i think we offer much 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 more than that yeah um and i think brands i feel like some people can see potentially where it would be but i don't think it's like blatantly obviously from a oh instagram influencer you do these types of things oh, your, your brand, you do X, Y, and Z things, mm-hmm. right? We're this kind of like muddled, we're this mutt of, I feel like the two mm-hmm. a little bit, right? Because you have a little bit of Jonah and myself's personality infused into the store. Yeah. Um, so there's a little bit of, in, I guess you would say influencer, even though I just like that term, because um, you have our own personal taste in there too. But then also you have a, like a branded store kind of aspect of it right where we sell products like levi's mm-hmm. right um so there's obviously doorways i think that should be opened to where working with those types of companies could be advantageous not only just for us for them but also for the consumer to make better products yeah well i hope that uh after this hour or two hour long interview it was dark uh, that people better understand the mission that Costa Practice is on, man, and um, and how they can better engage with you and engage the company as a whole outside of just you know utilizing you all as a resource for reference point there. But uh, well, yeah, brother, I, I really appreciate you taking the time, man, to, to come all the way up from Virginia, obviously for other things, but uh, as well for this and uh, you as well, Jonah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you you and Hips. There are two reasons that we came up, and then everything else is. is- auxiliary that we're just kind of fill the gaps with while we're here yeah well thank you again man i appreciate it uh and hopefully this won't be the last one yeah no definitely not (laughs) hopefully we'll be taking more trips up here on a more frequent basis should be fun
Well, I would say thank you to the audience for, you know, sitting through this with us and uh, and exploring these ideas, these ways of thinking and these different thoughts. And uh, yeah, until the next time. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it. All right.